I accumulate around $50,000 in, in assets, like other than my primary residence. And that just like, that just um, popped my balloon. I'm like, at this rate, like I'm not gonna even have enough by the time I retire. Welcome to the Small Steps Big Wins Podcast. I'm dedicated to helping you take control of your life. Together, we'll explore practical tips, expert advice, and inspiring stories to help you overcome obstacles and achieve your goals. Making small changes is possible and can lead to big results. Are you ready? Let's go do this. Hey, Andrew. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be back. <laughs> yeah, you're like one of the few repeats. So you must have enjoyed the first round. I did. I enjoyed it so much. I came knocking on your door for a second round. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, as always with my guests, what I love to do is just let them tell whatever part of their story they want to tell. And then we will bounce from there. Sounds good. So I, I think I told my story on your last podcast. So I won't bore your audience too much. Uh, but more or less, you know, during COVID, uh, I realized I was chasing the wrong path. I was chasing the wrong dream. I was going after the American dream, which has a 30 to 40 year time horizon. And at a certain point, I just thought that was crazy. Um, so I had I took a shift and the shift I took was I took out a, a HELOC on my one bedroom condo in Boston and I started buying multifamily. So, so I started house hacking a couple multifamily and then joint venturing on some commercial property. And then when I ran out of my own money, I started raising for and syndicating and joint venturing on larger properties. And as of today, since COVID, I've gotten about 127 units. So that's kind of my story in a nutshell. And uh, yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because we're going to go into the mindset weeds, if you're okay with that. So the work for 30 to 40 years, and then you retire mentality. Talk a little bit about that. What was the epiphany or, or aha moment that you had? when you realize that's no longer what you wanted to do? I think the aha moment I had was I was not um, willing to accept the status quo of working for 30 or 40 more years. I already worked, I think, seven, eight, nine years uh, in the workforce, and it seemed like an absolute eternity. So my options were continue the status quo and do this for three or four times what I've already done it, or make a change, take a risk, fail, and still retire at 35 and 40. So it was kind of like a sum zero sort of equation for me where it all ended at the same result if I failed anyway. So I might as well, I decided I might as well take a leap. If I fail, at least I gave it my all and, you know, I'm still standing. Okay. So you said two words there that I want to pull out from you. The first is fear and the second is risk. So talk about how you mitigate fear and your definition of failure and then also go into the risk part of it. Like, how did you, how'd you look at that too? Um, so fear, I think fear is a large motivator for a lot of people and they don't even realize it. Like, why do people get up and go to their job when they hate it? They fear being poor. They fear not providing for their family. They fear um, all of the things associated with not having financial stability, right? So I think people don't, I think people don't realize how much fear impacts their life on a day-to-day -day basis. And for me, I realized that quickly um, right after I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I learned quickly that it, the best approach, in my opinion, is to lean into fear and get comfortable with being and ruminating and sitting in that fear 
So when something does come across your desk that is completely outside of your boundaries, you can actually take it on with some sort of stability without being um, have analysis paralysis in the form of fear. So how do you view failure then? So growing up, I viewed failure different than I did today. Um, growing up, uh, I was very much a perfectionist. I think the school system taught us that, you know, you have to get A's, you have to do perfect on this test. You know, you have to study this certain way. You have to go, you know, essentially take the path that everybody else is taking. Um, and I, and, um, and then I essentially lived my life trying very much being a perfectionist, but that translated into like doing too much analysis and never taking action. Right. Um, and then I realized, you know, once I had my epiphany that the better approach, in my opinion, is to take action and iterate along the way and figure it out as you go. Um, and doing that has really expanded my my mindset and my my assets as well. I mean, I I'm doing things I never thought were possible uh, today just with that mindset of just taking action, figuring out along the way, getting guidance from coaches and mentors so I could avoid the pitfalls along the way, but skewing that towards action and less towards analysis. Mm. Did you find that the things that you feared didn't really happen anyway? Like, did you run fear scenarios? Like, I'm afraid if this happens or this happens or this happens, if I do this. I think people um, don't, people don't trust in themselves too much because at the end of the day, if something fearful comes across your desk, it's not like you're just going to sit there and do nothing forever. Like you're going to come up with a solution, right? And that's the case with owning real estate. That's the case with entrepreneurship. That's the, that's the case with going after your dreams is nothing's ever going to go according to plan, right? But what will go according to plan is, is your, um, your mindset in approaching that issue and coming up with solutions and not being, um, problem oriented and being more solution oriented. Like what can I do to get past this? Right. Right. What are some of the things you did to change your mindset? Cause it sounds like you went from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset and you had to kind of retool your brain in a way. So how did you, what are some things you did? So what I really did was I really, um, and this, I didn't know this at the time, but I really took measurable actions to change my, um, to change my daily habits and my long-term behavioral kind of the way I live my life. Right. So I think I mentioned this before, but, uh, one book that has a lot of influence on me recently, cause I read a lot of books is, uh, Jim Quick's Limitless. And in that book, they talk about, um, to really elicit long-term behavioral change, it usually requires three steps. First is epiphany. The second is change your environment. And the third is small steps, right? So I actually did all of three of those simultaneously without even realizing it, right? I had my epiphany when, you know, I ran out of things to do during COVID and I really had to kind of look in myself, myself in the mirror and be like, is this really where I want my life to be? And the answer was no, I had to take change, right? The other thing was during COVID, everybody, everybody's environment changed, right? And you really didn't have that much, um, you know, people around you. But what I did have was I had books around me. I had podcasts around me. I had mentors around me, right? And I really filled my environment with everything possible real estate. And then lastly, I took measurable steps every single day getting me towards my goal of owning rental property. Like I first wanted to house hack. Like, what did I do to achieve that? I underwrote properties every day. I talked with brokers, 
I put offers in, I walked properties, right? I took small steps to get me towards those goals and I more or less took that sort of same recipe and just amplified it throughout the years and just got more proficient at more proficient at it. Um, till today where I, you know, I wouldn't even honestly, three years ago, I wouldn't recognize the person I am today. Oh, wow. I was just ready to ask you, what was the time, the time frame of your change? And you just said three years from when COVID started. So we often uh, underestimate what we can do in five years. We overestimate what we can do in a year. We underestimate what we can do in five and how much change occurs. You talked about there were three parts to your journey. It was the epiphany moment, changing your environment, and you explained that. And then you took the actionable small steps to get you to where you are. It sounds very similar to the hero's journey. I guess it's just, you know, they're all kind of different iterations of it. The hero's journey is like that call to adventure. You realize something has to change and either we hear it or we don't, you know, we listen to it or we don't. I think we talked about fear already. I would think fear would keep people from taking taking action to change their yeah, change it, what they're doing right it, and the unknown most people don't yeah. want to take action because they don't know what's on the other side right that's why so your environment is so important right if you surround yourself around people doing what you want to do right like i wanted to own hundreds of rental units what did i do i surrounded myself around other people who owned hundreds of rental units. And I saw, what do they do on a daily basis? All right, they walk these properties, they put offers in, they talk with brokers, like maybe I should do that. Maybe that will get me the same success that it has gotten them. And that's exactly has been the cases. You know, success isn't, every time people reach success, it's not something new. It's literally a copy and paste, a repeatable formula um, on how you could do it, especially in real estate, which is a thousand year old business where it's like, there's no, there's nothing new in real estate. It's just, what has been done in the past, right? Like people are, most times people are innovative in real estate. They just do what other people have done in the past. And that's very much how I took my approach with advancing my my real estate portfolio. Um, it's just kind of copy and pasting other successful uh, entrepreneurs. Yeah, you talked about expanding um, your thoughts, but you also talked about changing who you're around, your environment, the people you interact with. Talk a little bit about, how the people that you've been around, whether you're mentors or friends, what have they done for you that have helped you propel, that have helped propel you forward? They've done a lot for my journey. Um, more or less a lot of, a lot of like avoiding pitfalls, right? Like they, like when I have a property in a contract, I run across an issue, you know, I could spend, you know, two, three days researching it, or I could just call my mentor or my other investor buddies who've already had this issue five times over and ask, what did, what, what did you do to resolve this? And a lot of times it's like a connection to a person or a connection to a contractor, but most times it's a two to three minute conversation, right? So just that just amplifies my, my growth dramatically. And the fact that like every time I run across a large issue, like rather than me spending days ruminating about it, I make a quick call and I resolve it in two or three minutes. I move on to the next big issue, right? Um, that's been instrumental. The other thing I would say has been extremely instrumental is surrounding myself around people who are go-givers and people who truly want to provide value to the world and expect nothing in return. Uh, very much growing up, I was very much in a, a scarcity mindset. I was like, I'm going to save my way to financial independence. You know, I'm going like, to save 20% of my income every single year, and that's going to get me here in 10 years. And I did that. 
10 years later, what did I have to show for it? Other than the condo I bought six, five years ago that I didn't even look at and, you know, doubled in value, I accumulated around $50,000 in, in assets, like other than my primary residence. And that just like, that just um, popped my balloon. I'm like, at this rate, like, I'm not going to even have enough by the time I retire. Yeah. It's so yeah, that's sobering. I mean, I you know, I was running numbers the other day and it really people don't realize how easy it is and I'll define what I mean by easy in a minute to figure out what you need for quote unquote retirement when you're at age 60. It really is just a formula. It's an algebra formula and I was looking it up, it's a future value formula and in order to save enough money over your lifetime to retire comfortably to have something that's going to give you income where you don't touch the principal. Do you know what I calculated? It was if you wanted to retire at age 60, I had 10 years to do it. All right. So if I want to retire at 62, I'm 52. You had 10 years to do it and you want to save enough money so that your investment produces a hundred thousand dollars a year of, um, interest that you could take and not touch the principal at 4%. Do you know how much you need? Probably like two to $3 million. Yes, it was. It was two and a half million dollars. <laughs> I, I, I was I like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Calculation too. I yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, and when you think about that number to some people, that's like, eh, yeah, okay. That's nothing. And to others who operate in the smaller, you know, that's either, and I don't want to say scarcity mindset. It's like, if you are in that space where you only make 70 or $80,000 a year for 20 or 30 years, you know, $2 million is very overwhelming. And it's funny how our culture puts these beliefs on us about money and how we view money. So talk a little bit about your perspective on money. I mean, the sad truth is if most people followed the normal financial plan that, you know, essentially what the masses do to achieve, to, you know, retire, um, it's, it's not a successful formula, right? Just give your money to a 401k manager, you know, don't look at it for 30 to 40 years. Like, you have them take fees no matter what take no ownership of your money um you know i lock all your money up in a primary residence and provides you no return on net worth right like people take these normal paths that they think's the right way but the sad truth is if people take that path they're never going to achieve that financial um stability that they hope for right so what i really figured out early on is to really truly kind of achieve that level of success, you really have to take a contrarian view, right? And, you know, when everybody zigs, you zag, right? When everybody's when everybody's running from the market, you're running towards the market. When everybody's running towards the market, you're running away from the market. And I'll just give you a quick example. One of my one of my one of my friends growing up bought crypto back a couple of years ago. See a coin. In a matter of a couple a year, I think his ten thousand dollar investment increased to $200,000, right? So naturally, top, oh, you know, you should sell it. No, it's going to go to a million. I'm like, whatever, right? We're at his bachelor party. We're in, a, we're in a taxi. We're in an Uber car. The taxi driver is talking about how he's making all this money in crypto, right? And I'm like, this is the sign 
that you know it's you're in a bubble and it's the time to sell is when your taxi driver is giving you investment advice. Like, no offense, I don't go to my taxi driver for investment advice. I'll go, I'll go to him maybe for directions, like by all means, right? That's completely legitimate, but not for financial advice, right? And, you know, and I think people, like people feel comfortable in following the masses. But I think the true successful investor that will achieve that sort of success takes the opposite approach when they run into information like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Isn't that, it's a famous Warren Buffett quote, when people are fearful, you be greedy. And when people are greedy, that's when you're fearful. It's the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. It's the same thing. Like to jump, because then when everybody jumps on the bandwagon, you know, everybody's not doing their research. That's pretty funny. Your taxi driver giving financial advice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, That's kind of scary. That's a scary thing. It is, yeah. you know, That's- and and if you're doing what everybody else is doing, you know, most likely you're gonna you're gonna receive below par returns, right? You got to do things that other people are unwilling to do, in my opinion, to get to get these outside returns where you can actually achieve a certain level of financial independence. Yeah, and I think there's also a level of education that goes along with that too, because in your three years. You've done a lot of work to learn all these things that you're doing rather than, you know, just kind of well, and it's ownership. It's ownership. It's ownership. Because yeah, right. like I said, it goes back to that point where I don't think people realize the control of money in your life, right? Like most people, 80 to 90% of your actions are a result of financial um, constraints or financial um, um, oversight or anything, and you know. Um, I don't know the right way to put it. Um, uh, I mean, finances are at the top of the mind for most people. Like uh, they're required to go to work because of finances. You know, maybe you have a sick parent. You, you do things that you're, you don't want to do because of that. Most people's lives are run as a result of financial strains. And um, once you realize that and you take ownership of that, I feel like that's liberating. I feel like it's almost a path to um, to get away from this 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 controlling thing over you. Yeah. So in what ways has it liberated you? Like what drives you? Um, it liberated me in the fact that prior to finding my purpose and really going after my dreams, I despised my W2. I did not like my W2. I did not want to go into work on a daily basis. Right. But the fact that now I have a purpose and now I could see a path out, like I go into my W2 more with a better attitude, a better mentality, people like working with me more. And it resulted in me getting more promotions, making more money. And it puts it in perspective. Like I actually look at my W-2 now as a tool in helping me achieve financial independence and less so a burden, right? And I think it like really helps you change change perspective and really puts, um, puts what is important at the front of your mind. Mm, that goes back to mindset. That's a very interesting perspective that you just said to have the W-2 be a tool because I feel like there's a lot of chatter out there nowadays. Oh, quit your W-2, quit your W-2, become financially free, do this, do that, do this, you know, but the W-2 is wrong. You know, oh, you have a W-2, there's something wrong with you. And really it's a mindset issue you're using it as a tool. It's not evil. It's not bad. It's just, that's what you're using. And that's fueling how it builds 
your wealth. What age are you aiming for to say, okay, I'm done? Uh, I probably two to three years is where I would like to be. Uh, and by done, it means just working on what I want to work on. Maybe not working a W2 job. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I see once you start accumulating assets, you see the light at the end of the tunnel, right? And then you actually enjoy the process more, right? Because if you're just grinding, grinding and grinding, and I've been there, I grinded so much that I didn't look up for a year and didn't take a vacation, didn't even know what time of day it was, right? Like, but when you stop grinding and you, and you see a light at the end of the tunnel, it just makes the whole experience so much more enjoyable. Now that you change your perspective on your W-2, and it's not so much that dragon that needs to get slain anymore. Are there other areas in your life where you feel like, oh, I've got these big dragons now and I need to go conquer those? I've got the W-2 kind of under control. I would say my my biggest battle at this very moment is managing the many uh, priorities that I have. You know, I, I work, uh, I'm an investor focused agent. I got a team under me. I self-manage 30 units. I'm a GP in two syndications. I work a W-2. I, uh, there's some more stuff I forgot in there. <laughs> oh my God. How do you do it all? All right. So what's the secret sauce? You know, I, I, I'm going through all those things you just mentioned and I know they're not easy tasks and I know they're time consuming. So how do you, how do you manage all that stuff? You buy back your time. That's how you do it. You buy back your time. And the way I go about buying back my time is I realize what, out of everything I do on a daily basis, what takes the most energy for me, Right. And then I systematically find some process or some person, be it a VA or a local assistant property manager, that can take that responsibility off of my plate to free up time where I can really focus on the high dollar per hour tasks. And the more successful you get, the, the more you invest in self-development and the more you actually focus on kind of becoming the best version of yourself. And it actually makes you more productive. Like if I spend four or five hours in self-development every day, the four or five hours that I'm working, I could probably get, you know, two to three X more done than if I just went straight at my tasks and didn't really focus on myself. Right. So it kind of allows you to fall into flow better and really make big moves in a short amount of time. Mm. Talk about what self-development looks like for you. So self-development is, uh, it's one of my favorite hobbies is to try to be the best version of myself every single day. And, um, and it's actually my favorite part. Every single morning I wake up around five or 6 AM and I do the miracle morning every single day. So here's kind of how my morning routine, if I, I get up, you know, I read 10, 15 pages of a book, then I'll take a shower and I'll do my affirmations and my visualization in my shower. After that, I take my vitamins. I drink a cup of water. And then from there, I do my meditation, I do my 100 push-ups, and then I go to some sort of cafe, I, I do a gratitude prayer, and then I write like, what are my clear and concise daily steps I could do right now to achieve my one-year, five-year, 10-year goals, right? And then at that point, that kind of completes my daily routine, and that's probably around 8.39. At that point, I kind of go at it. Um, so that's my daily routine, and without, without that sort of... Um, uh, without that morning routine, I very much feel like um, that the day is just full of fires, right? But when I have that morning routine, I feel like I'm actually in control of everything coming my way. Yeah, it's like your anchor. We, yeah. I've, 
talk to other people about that, where you have that one or two or three or, or set routine in that morning where you feel like I have to get out there and do it. It's an anchor point for me. If I don't do that, I don't feel like my day is set. I love how you layered one on top of another. And my guess is that you didn't start out that way. Did you have it stacked? Like when you started having your routine, cause it sounds like it's pretty set now, or did you just like get up and go like, Oh, this is my routine and I'm going to do this. Um, ever since I've gone into personal development, I've gone into some sort of morning routine, be it reading, being working out, if fine tuned over time to what it is today, but I wouldn't be where I'm at without that morning routine. I really wouldn't. And the thing about real estate is real estate is very much a people oriented business, right? Your success is directly correlated to how much people like and trust you. So it's very important to go into real estate with a good mentality and a customer service oriented mentality, right? So if I don't do those morning routines, I might be snippy at a tenant, snippy at a contractor, snippy at a, at a client, right? And that would 100% hold my success back. So just the fact that I really focus on myself and spend the first two or three hours self on self-development, it allows me to really kind of remove that remove that that barrier and really bring my best self to the day to the day on a daily basis. Mm. Did you have those routines in place prior to when you started prior to COVID, I guess is really when you started your journey? No, no, I did not. I probably prior to COVID prior to, you know, me going on this journey, I, I probably read like 10 books in my whole life. Right. So, <laughs> I was not into self-development. The only self-development I was in was when I was in school. Right. I was really kind of adding about that. But once school ended, that's when my that's when my development ended. Right. And I realized and that's when I and I, I became a um, what a serial student because I didn't realize that I loved self-development. But I needed to force it on me. Right. And when I finally realized how to self-implement this self-development, um, it really changed my life. So self-implement, what does self-implement look like to you in your journey? So it looks like to me, so I'll just give you a quick example. I'm an investor focused agent, right? Um, I'm that on top of my W2 and managing property and all of that. I, most people become an agent to earn more money. That is not why I became an agent. I became an agent because I wanted access to my mentor who was the broker, but I also wanted to force myself to keep a pulse in the market, right? If I have clients constantly dinging me, what's going on here? How's this multifamily look? It forces me to keep my eye on the market on a daily basis, right? So I think it's very important to know yourself and know your weaknesses. And for me, I very much need something hanging over my head to really have me constantly focus on something. Right. So in that case, in this particular case, it's being an agent. Right. It forces me to have my pulse in the market. If I wasn't an agent, I didn't have any money in the bank. I wasn't ready to buy. I wouldn't be looking at the market whatsoever, which would honestly be a disservice uh, to my investing career. Mm, OK, where did you start when you started? So let's, let's go talk about small steps, big wins. So do you remember back when you started your personal development journey? What were the first couple of small steps that you took? So the first couple of small steps I took uh, was I wanted to get a house hack. Um, so I got pre-approved, right? And I started 
listening to podcasts, reading books, figuring out how to run numbers. And then at that point, found an agent, had him start sending me properties, running. I think I ran three to five properties, ran numbers on three to five properties a day, which equaled about 100. I underwrote about 100 properties after a month. So at that point, I like I could just look at a property and know where the cash flow stood just by because I ran the numbers so much. Like I did that repetition. Right. Um, then I started making offers. Right. And I didn't get my house hack probably until 20 to 30 offers into it. So it took a good three to four months of walking properties, running numbers and putting in offers to get the properties. Right. So those are the daily steps that I did. And I think it's very important um to for people to reverse engineer your small steps based on where you want your big wins to be right like my big win was getting a house hack right so what are my kpis for getting a house hack that is putting in offers that's walking properties that's running numbers on properties that's talking with brokers right if my goal my big win was to be a fantastic father what would my small steps be it might be to take my kid out on a weekly date night right it might be to coach their sports team you know, like these are these small steps that get you towards the big win. And at the end of the day, that's really been my superpower is figuring out what small steps I need to take, what are truly the best KPIs to achieve the big wins that I dream of. Yeah. KPI for those listening, key performance indicators. Do you do vision setting for yourself? Like the vision, I, like the three to five year? I do. I've read Vivid Vision, which I highly recommend. And I have created a 10-year vision of what I want my life to look like. And I have, and as a result, I reversed engineer kind of what daily habits I have to do today over the next year, over the next five years to get me to that vision. Did yeah. you find that difficult to do? I did not find that difficult to do. I just closed my eyes and just imagine what would my ideal life look like, right? So when I close my eyes, person, I'm doing this right now. When I close my eyes, I see myself waking up on a beach, going in there, meditating, reading right on the beach, taking up, riding my bike to a cafe, pull up my laptop, do my couple hours of work, take a couple phone calls, jump on a private charter, go to some island in Asia, Philippines with family and friends, enjoy the day, go ATV and go hiking. Like that is so real to me that I could see it right now. And that's the, and that's the life that I'm trying to trying to reverse engineer. Wow, I would, I don't know me personally. When I try and do that, I try and reverse engineer it, but then I can't see the steps in between. Yeah, I mean that that's why I think it's a really good skill to learn to learn how to run towards fear, right? Like if something seems feels uncomfortable, you cringe on the inside. Like that should be an indication to you that that is an area of growth, right? Like growing up, I hated dancing. Like when everybody says dancing, I cringe. I cringe. At, at weddings, I would just sit in my chair the whole time. I would get all red, you know? And I realized that. And I went on my way to take dance lessons because I knew this was an area of growth that I have to get over, right? Or um, cold plunges, right? Like most people, most people, when you tell them to jump in a cold plunge, they cringe. They get scared. They talk about like all the things that why this is not a good decision. I don't even do that. I just go there, jump in, don't even think about it, right? And that's how I approach a lot of my investing. Obviously, I go into it with a plan, right? But once I decide, I just go in and figure it out. And I don't get stuck in my head, in my fear, in what if this happens and what if that happens. Um, I lead into the fear and I 
And at this point, I think I, I enjoy it a little bit. Life is hard when you resist. When you go with the flow, life is easy. It's that simple. And I think a lot of people, um, uh, it's their habit to resist when it should be their habit to just go with the flow and just be open. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you said that. When somebody says, oh, you just go with the flow, you know, when you hear that, it to me, I feel like the flow should be easy and sitting on a beach all the time. But that's not really what going with the flow means, is it? Going with the flow means it's whatever you, whatever comes your way, you, as you said, lean into it, accept it, figure out a way to, if it's hard and it will be hard, figure out a way. And you, and you don't get in, you know, you don't start ruminating in, in mind loops, right? Like all the things that are going wrong, you start ruminating about what can I do to get a solution here? Right. That so once so that's the key. Like you got to think where your mind's going. If you're ruminating about everything that's going wrong, obviously you're going to be analysis paralysis, right? But I don't do that. And like for example, 2023 with these with these very high interest rates, right? If I was watching the news all day, I would be scared out of my mind. I actively didn't, right? I actively avoided the news. I just looked for good deals, found good deals, found good debt, underwrote it. It made sense. I bought it, right? I didn't let the environment decide my actions, right? And I think a lot of people do that, especially now with interest rates. People are like, oh, I'm not going to buy. I'm going to wait for the interest rate to go down. You could wait 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> like I would Or they could buy. do the opposite and just keep going and they could like slingshot and go back up. You never know. Nobody has a crystal ball. And sometimes, you know, we think we do and we live in this today. Like, oh, we want the interest rates to be back to 3%. Well, it's not like you can't live like that because you don't have a crystal ball. You don't know. Yeah. And or, I love what you said about ruminating forward. I mean, yeah. think about that. Let's ruminate forward instead of ruminate backward. At least project yourself into the future and try and figure out how to get closer to, you know, from point A to point B, just get closer to the goal that you want to be at. I love it. I, it's great I, I don't think people realize how much, like people have a finite amount of thought in their whole life. Are you going to waste it on stupid BS or are you going to waste it on things that truly matter to you and things that get you closer to your goal? Right. And once I realized that, once I realized that I actually can control my thoughts and when they go to places I don't want, I can be aware of that and push them towards places I do want. That was that's really when my life changed. Prior to that, I was very much in a rumination, a negative rumination loop in regards to my job, in regards to where my life is. Right. Um, and once I got out of that, that that I, death loop or that thought prison or however you want to put it, um, my my development um, went off the charts. So what were the distractors in your life? Um, the distractors were, uh, were in my life were vices that, um, quelled my ambition, right? Like anything, like anything I, you know, I always had a big ambition, like I would do something great, but whenever I had that thought in my mind and it was like, do the work, or I could just play a video game, or I could just watch this movie, or I could just call my buddy and have a beer with him. Right. So every time I had that thought in my mind, I always figured out a vice to take that away, right? And then at the end of the vice, I would always feel empty. I would always feel empty, right? And that's what triggered me. Like, I don't want that feeling. I don't want to live in regret. I don't want to wake up 10 years from now and just and essentially live Groundhog's Day. Like, this is not the life I want to live. Um, 
And I, I, I think people fail to realize that, you know, doing nothing is the status quo. And, and if, if you want your life to be the same as, as, it, as it is now, do the same. If you want it to be different, do something different, right? But there's no, there's no middle ground. Right. What's your thoughts on living with urgency versus living with a 50 to 100 year time frame? Uh, I mean, the only reason I've been able to achieve the success I have is because I live with urgency. Um, you know, every single day I live the day like it's my last. Like, you know, no, like tomorrow could be my last. I don't want to leave anything on the table. Right. Um, so I think it's important to to your point. I, th- I think I think you're mixing up two concepts. You're, you're mixing up. um uh, um, delayed gratification, but you're also, but that, but productivity and, um, urgency and drive, in my opinion, are different than a, um, long-term perspective. Like I have long-term perspective. I see the benefit of owning property now that maybe I could sell my property and get hundred K or I could just sit and maintain the cash flow 10 years later, have it paid off and, and be a millionaire from that one property. Right? Like I see that, but I also, I also see that um, I also see it's very important to, 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 to live every day like it's your last and leave nothing on the table. Mm, take action in that day in order to get you to you tomorrow. Makes sense. The danger of living life with urgency is getting down to the end of your day and going, oh, I didn't get done everything that I wanted to do. I mean, most days I don't get everything I want done. I mean, I, but I do try to get the most important things done on my list that truly get me closer to my goal. Right. And if I don't get everything done that day, that might be incentive to me to wake up early and get it done in the morning. Right. Like, so, um, I, um, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy, um, going after my purpose. I enjoy building something. So, you know, people call this work. It's, it's a hobby and it's fun for me. So I think it depends on perspective as well, right? Like, is this work or is this like, would you do this if you didn't get paid? And like, I don't know if I'd do it if I didn't get paid, but I would do it with minimal salaries for sure. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What was the one thing you thought would be hard about building the life that you have and turns out it wasn't and then flip it around? What did you think would be easy wound up being more challenging? Um, the thing that I thought would be hard would be living with the amount of debt hanging over my head. You know, I think I'm, uh, I think I'm over maybe eight, $9 million in debt. Right. And going into it, I thought I wouldn't be able to sleep with that amount hanging over my head, but I'm light as a feather. doesn't bother me whatsoever. Um, because I know there's cash flowing assets that back that debt, right? And all of my cash flowing assets are self-sustaining. I don't got to feed the beast, right? So I sleep like a baby knowing that's the case. Uh, what was I expected to be easy, but was hard? Is that was your mm-hmm. other question? Yes. Mm-hmm. What I expected to be easy, but was actually hard. Um, I don't know if I expected it to be easy, uh, but I would say... Um, Partnering, partnering with people because in in real estate, at a certain point, you run out of your own cash, but you still have these amazing deals come your way, right? And how are you going to grow and scale as you start partnering and taking other people's money? Um, So that I didn't think would be easy. I knew it would be hard, but 
Um, I think what really, what I really learned from that is also take a long-term perspective, right? Like with partners, like I would rather lose a battle and win the war, right? Like I would rather make my partner feel like they won this battle if they, if they maintained a good relationship in the long run and we did more deals down the road, right? So I very much try to create win-win scenarios for everybody. And a lot of times that might mean me taking it on the chin this one time, but I know in the long run, it will help me grow my business. Mm -hmm. Okay. Makes sense. If you could go back in time to your younger self, take a message back, what would it be? Um, just go for it. Just go for it. You don't need to build up a battle chest to take a dive and to go for your dreams. And, you know, worst case, you just go back to working a W2, right? So I wish I did action earlier. Um, however, I I like the path that I created. So I don't really live with much regret. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I guess sometimes if we think about it, all the things that we've walked through in our life have brought us to this moment. And maybe if we didn't walk through those things, we wouldn't be where we are in this moment. So you're right. You're right. Mm -hmm. And then, and like I had a, I had a really tough childhood growing up when my father left, you know, I didn't have many friends. I didn't feel loved, you know, it was very, a lot of low points. Right. But I'm super thankful uh, for those low points because I don't know any successful person out there that had the success without adversity, right? Like it's almost like you need adversity. You need to be that coal that pressure is applied to, to become the diamond. No pressure, no diamond. <laughs> exactly. And, and I am just super thankful that that adversity happened so young for me that it's just been, it's just been up from here on out. Right. Um, but some people need, you know, some people don't face that adversity to, 20 years old, 30 years old, 40 years old, right? And it's great that they had the epiphany, but it sucks that their time horizon is shortened, right? So I'm just thankful that I had that epiphany so young so I could start at the age I started at. Yeah. I, although you said, you know, like to have that those moments later in life and that, you know, kind of sucks maybe if it wasn't sooner. I, I kind of look at my circumstance. My I'm having that epiphany moment, quote unquote, and I already passed the half century mark. But I realized that, and, and a good friend helped me to see this too. I realized that, well, wait a minute, what if I live to be 90? I got 40 more years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what if I just give myself 10, take a 10 year horizon. And so, and, and reverse engineer where I want to be in 10 years. Again, it goes back to that quote, we underestimate what we can do in five years. We overestimate what we can do in a year. So, and then I look backwards and go, well, wait a minute, where was I five years ago? Well, I was broke five years ago. I'm not broke now, you know, oh, wait a minute. You know, I have moved the needle and where I was 10 years ago is in a different place than where I am now. So that gives me hope so that when I think, okay, I can now construct the life that I want out 10 years from now, that's very empowering when you think about it, that you can construct that life that you want and take it into your own hands and just go for it. So, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I, 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 I don't know if I've talked about this with you, but I'm a big believer that, that your consciousness can paint any reality that you want. Like, I don't know, like with quantum mechanics, one of the biggest thing of quantum mechanics is like observation. Like 
an electron is essentially, I mean, with an atom and electrons, they're essentially a cloud, right? But when you apply observation and consciousness to it, the electron chooses a location, right? So consciousness plays a huge role in quantum mechanics and how it operates. And everything in this world is built on quantum mechanics. So I'm a big believer that your consciousness is very impactful in the in the reality that you create. And it's where your mind goes and where your thoughts go on the reality, the reality that you live in. Um, so I am very conscious of where my thoughts go because I know they have the power that they do. Mm. Are you familiar with Think and Grow Rich? Yes, I've read it many times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you remember there's a quote in there that says, if you believe, if the mind can uh, conceive it and believe it, you can achieve it. Believe that is from there. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I I was just, I just started reading Think and Grow Rich like a week ago and was introduced to that. And that has been the one, for lack of a better term, mantra going over and over in my mind for the last week. And as I pondered that, I started thinking, well, wait a minute, what can I conceive and believe that I can do? Even though, even if I can't figure out how it's going to be done, can I think I can, I think I can do it. Yes. You know, oh, wait, well, if I can conceive it, I can believe it, then I can achieve it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and to that point, I think uh, I read this book uh, back when I first started um, getting into personal development, uh, wealth, uh, sorry, wealth. The Wealth Mindset by Neville Goddard. And one of my favorite quotes in there is, thought is the coin of heaven. And I think that just, it perpetuates the point that you just made. But I I say that mantra in my head all the time. Thought is the coin of heaven, right? And when I see myself wasting my thought on some, you know, maybe some dinky little dispute with my tenant or maybe an ongoing eviction, I'm like, is this really worth my thought? Mm-hmm. times it's not. And most times that allows me to direct my thought toward things that are worth my thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's nice to have those little mantras in our back pocket in order to propel us forward or to redirect our thoughts when they're thinking or going down a road that they shouldn't go down. You know, I've got a couple of them as well. I love and the picture of the alchemist. You know, I have the magic touch of an alchemist. Therefore, I can create the life that I want. Hmm. Ones like that, you know. Um, my other favorite is money is abundant and available to me. Yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna just pull those out every once in a while. So while we're on the topic of books, we already mentioned a couple of them. Is there any one more that you would recommend that you had a that's had a significant impact on you? Oh man, there's too many to count. Um, one that one that comes to mind is uh the untethered soul. That Love one, that. That's, that book is so good because it just teaches you to learn more about yourself because your, your growth is directly correlated to like how well you know yourself, right? Like if I know what brings me energy and I know what takes energy away from me, if I sit in those areas that bring me energy in those areas that I have a superpower in, like I can scale 20 times quicker than if I sit in those areas that drain me. Yeah, I love right. that book. That's by Michael Singer. Have you read The Surrender Experiment and Living Untethered? I uh, I have not. I'll have to add those to the list. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, so um, Michael Singer wrote all three, Surrender Experiment, The Untethered Soul, and Living Untethered, and I have read all three. 
And I have to tell you, when I recommend them to people, I always tell everybody start with this surrender experiment because that's his behind the scenes story of why he started this quest for listening to this voice in his head. He wanted to know what was going on in there. So surrender experiment sets the stage and it is, I'm not going to give the book away. It's a phenomenal story. All right. So it's well worth reading. The next one is the untethered soul. Cause it's like, you go into the next level of listening to that voice in your head and then living untethered takes the unset tethered soul to the next level. So- I'm, I'm going to read those. I'll add it to the list. <laughs> they were definitely, uh, I would say life transformative for me. I read them. I I started in July last year and I got done surrender experiment and went, oh my gosh, okay, this is a different way of looking at life for me. It was a a mind shift, big mind shift for me, but positively transformative. No question. Mm -hmm. No question. Is there anything that, any question or any topic you wish I would have asked and didn't? And then how would you answer it? Um, I think the one question I would ask is, uh, that I wish you asked is, do you believe in wizards? Ah, I knew that was coming. I forgot about that. Yeah. Now are you asking me, do you believe in wizards? You have to answer that too, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the truth is I, I do believe in wizards and the one, the one person when you, when I say, uh, wizards, the one person that comes to mind is Brandon Turner. Like, I think that guy like is a spinning image of like Gandalf, right? Yes. You know, but I mean, to, to, to that point, I mean, I think it's, it's, if you're trying to achieve unrealistic goals that most people think would not happen, you have to believe in wizards because you have to believe in um, creating something out of nothing. You have to believe in creating magic in the air. Right. And if I look at my life, now compared to three years ago, I would completely describe it as me creating magic because I would never expect uh, where I am today to where I was. I mean, you know, I was worth about $250,000. 80% of my net worth was in, in this one bedroom condo that I lived in for, you know, five, six years. Right. And, and now I own over a hundred units, right. All through the, all through taking that money and reinvesting it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's, and creating that out of nothing is pure magic to me. Oh, Sure. Absolutely. I remember the first time you asked me that question. Do you remember my response? <laughs> you thought it was a trick question. I didn't know how to answer it. I think there was like this long pause. I'm like, oh my God, is this a trick question? And then my brain started going through, well, should I say no? If I said no, then I would have insulted him. If I say yes, then do I really believe that this is a yes? I mean, the brain work that went behind that question. But the very interesting part is that when we recorded that podcast, and I would have to go back and look. Do you remember when that was? I think it was April, May last year, maybe. It was pretty early. It was 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 almost a year ago. Yeah, it was almost two, three months after I joined the merge. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was almost a year ago. And a year later, if now we're asking that question again, my answer is an absolute yes. And it's how you define that wizard and you defined it for what it looked like for you. You're creating something out of nothing. And I have this quote above my monitor uh, in my other room and it says, wanting is about abundance and creation and requires no justification. 
And when we want that thing, it's just about creating that. You know, we want it. It's it's about abundance and creation. And I love the second part. It just doesn't require justification. I don't have to tell you why I want to own X, Y, and Z, or why you want to own the property that you own or create the life that you want. It doesn't require justification. So yeah, do I believe in wizards? Absolutely. I believe all of us possess the qualities of an alchemist to create the life that they want. I agree. So I love, I, I love the, I love the alchemist. Alchemist is that person who creates something out of nothing. Mm. You know, as we close my signature question, what's one small step someone can do today that's going to help them change their tomorrow? Escape negative rumination. Like if you see yourself thinking and going in negative thought loops, like take control of that because you have the ability to control where your mind goes and where your mind goes will directly determine the life that you live. What you think about will directly determine the life that you live, right? So be careful what you think about or be excited about what you think about, but just be conscious of that. Perfect. I love it. I love it. Well, Andrew, thank you for the gift of your time. It's been awesome. I love it. Um, as we close, do you want to drop in verbally all those things that people drop in at the end of podcasts to tack on there about where they can be found? Absolutely. I can be found at Investor Freed on Instagram or Andrew Freed on Facebook um, and LinkedIn. You can also check out my uh, bigger pockets podcast that has my story as well. Um, and yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you for listening to another episode of the small steps, big wins podcast. I value your time with me and I seek to make every moment count in order to make lasting change in your life. Listening is usually not enough. So I want to ask you what practical steps are you going to put into action today as a result of listening to this podcast? Remember, any step, any action, no matter how small, starts your journey to a big win. And if you're not sure where to get started, check out my website, personalcoachfinder.com, and find someone who can help. Remember, life doesn't get better by chance. It gets better by choice. Take small steps today and make your life awesome, friends.